From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. A salacious report is threatening the fortune of one of the world's richest men, Guatamadani. He's best known here in Australia for the controversial Carmichael coal mine. But his empire also spans airlines, apples and media networks. Now, investors are deserting him. And questions about whether he's been protected by powerful political allies in India are being raised. All because of a single report. So what are the accusations against Adani? Will we hear more now that the floodgates are open? Or will his critics be silenced once again? Today, Associate Editor of the Saturday Paper, Martin Mackenzie Murray, on Guatemadani's rise and how it's been built on silencing his critics. It's Monday, February 13. Marty, when you're seeking to understand a person like Guatemadani, who's one of the richest men in the world ally, friend to the Indian Prime Minister, owner of a a very controversial coal mine here in Australia. Where do you begin your reporting journey? Good question, Ruby. I spoke with a lot of people this week who have been very closely watching Gautam Adani's spectacular rise, and most of them watching it with a certain amount of suspicion. So that includes investigative reporters in India, financiers and market analysts, as well as activists here in Australia. One man who was particularly interesting was veteran Indian investigative reporter Paranjoy Guha Thakurta. I spoke to him from his home in New Delhi. How are you, Martin? You are Martin, correct? That's right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And what's interesting about Paranjoy is that he's been a journalist for almost half a century. He's debated on live television. He's often deployed as a public affairs commentator. He's written several books. But he's almost vanished from public life in India for the past two and a half years. And that's because there are several, in fact, six defamation lawsuits brought against him by the Adani group. Then, you know, what can I do? I mean, there's this gag order on me. Okay, so so that that's really ironical. But, but go ahead, Martin, ask me whatever you wish to. And there is a very severe gag order on him that has existed for two and a half years, issued by courts and preventing him from writing or speaking about... Gautam Adani or the Adani group in a way that's contrary to his business interests. It has a chilling effect on others. Right. So, I mean, it sends a message. Look, if we can do it to Mr. A, then we can do it to B and C and D. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a beginning place, speaking to Paranjoy. Mm. And that suggests really a power imbalance and perhaps a resistance to scrutiny. Definitely, like emphatically, yes. Adani's career is decades old. His rise from kind of provincial businessman to fierce history-making industrialist has made him almost a national myth now. But a part of that is a reputation for aggressive litigation, the use of courts, the use of lawsuits, arguably to silence critics, especially journalists. And Paranjoy is far from the only one to have lost jobs and to have received severe gag orders for his reporting. Well, let's talk a bit about Guatam's rise to power because he didn't start life as a rich man, did he? So where did he begin and how did he build his wealth? I was born in a middle-class family. Yeah, he wasn't born into wealth, but he, he had an ambition to acquire it from a pretty young age. And I lived through 
the 1970s and 80s when India had a huge infrastructure deficit. So he's from the state of Gujarat, which is on the India's western coast. It's renowned for its very, very long coastline. If others dismiss Mundra as a vast marshy coastline in the wilderness. And it's heavy industrialization. Adani saw it as a port town that would be the platform to achieve his dreams. So Adani dropped out of college, moved to Mumbai to dabble in diamond trading. He didn't find his fortune there, returned to Gujarat to work in the family business, which was a modest little thing. And they developed plastic wrap or like cling wrap. And it seems inauspicious, but that was kind of the germ or the foundation of his future empire was PVC, polyvinyl chloride. So at that point, it was very much a state-regulated economy in India in the 1980s, and there were import licenses issued to local manufacturers from the government. And Adani quite astutely bought up all local manufacturers' licenses. He pulled them together, and in doing that, he could then, en masse or in vast bulk, start importing the PVC. And there was a very profitable surplus from that. So then he diversifies into other industrial chemicals, But I think the career really sort of takes off in the mid-90s when the government sells him massively discounted land and he builds his first port. The Mundra port provided a gateway for Adani to enter other businesses. And this is sort of the beginning of his, shall we say, profitable relationship with governments. Adani's fourth big mantra for success was to align his business vision with the priorities of the government of the day. And so from there, we see him kind of very assiduously court the chief minister of his local state, Gujarat. Chief Minister Narendra Modi ji. Narendra Modi. Bharat Mata ki. As chief minister, Modi launched a series of programs to promote massive economic development of the state of Gujarat. Who, of course, in 2014, after more than a decade as chief minister of this province, becomes prime minister. And the two of them have been inseparable. And Muddy, it seems like once Narendra Modi becomes prime minister, things also really take off for Adani because he goes from successful local businessman to this kind of global level of fortune. So can you tell me a bit more about their friendship and and how both men have benefited from it? So really from 2014, we see the Adani Group's expansion explode. Gujarat experiences probably before India generally or wholly rapid expansion and development industrially. And it became kind of an Indian success story and emblematic of the aspirational growth that Modi was promising. And so Adani was seen as kind of totemic of this success, Gujarat's local success, and Modi wanted to be a part of that, to kind of enjoy the reflected success. And from there, the two men's fates, I think, became kind of braided. Adani enjoyed increasing generosity from governments, And Modi got to kind of bask in the light of this man who had romantically transformed himself from a a small provincial businessman into this kind of titan of industry. 
And I should say here that from that humble beginning of PVC, the colossal size of Adani and its involvement in almost every imaginable aspect of Indian public life is very, very, very difficult to overstate. He's the world's largest builder of new coal mines. He owns mines across India. He has several ports, airports. In the middle of a sharply declining economy came the news that the Adani Group has acquired control of Mumbai International Airport. Power stations. He's in the, not just the production of energy, but it's transmission. He's in food production. He sells enormous, if not the largest quantity of edible oils. Apples. This apple that you see in my hand, this one, it's very special. Huge amounts of cement. He's getting into data now and recently acquired NDTV, which was considered one of the last independent TV stations. And so controversial was that acquisition that... The founders of NDTV, Pranoy Roy and Radhika Roy, on Tuesday resigned from the board of RRPR Holdings. And several journalists have since followed. His portfolio and wealth of strategic assets is staggering. And of course, it's not just in India, because the Adani Group owns the controversial Carmichael Mine in central Queensland. Few developments in Australia have aroused such passion as the proposal by the Indian corporate colossus Adani to build a giant coal mine in Queensland's Galilee Basin. And they have interests in Sri Lanka, Israel, Abu Dhabi. Meteoric rise. And so earlier this year, Forbes listed him as the world's third richest man, just behind Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. How does it feel to be wealthy? What does money mean to you? These rankings and numbers do not matter to me. I get my thrills from handling challenges and the bigger they are, the happier I am. Okay, so he's a man of limitless ambition, it seems, and he has the wealth and the connections to really back that up. At the kind of pinnacle of his success, how is Guatemadani spoken about in his home country? Because no doubt there'd be many that see him as this success story, really turning a family business into a global empire, becoming one of the richest men in the world. But I imagine there's also a lot of criticism of the ways in which he's done that and, and of his dominance in India. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Obviously, India is a staggeringly large country. And so unsurprisingly, views or opinions on Adani and his influence vary. There is a defensiveness about his reputation from some, and I think one of the reasons for that is, one, the theoretical romance of his rise from provincial businessman to this kind of world-altering, history-making industrialist. There's a certain romance of that to some. But there's also a defensiveness in that Adani, I think quite cleverly, together with the now Prime Minister Modi, have for a long time made this narrative of aggressive Indian growth and Adani's fundamental or inseparable role in that. And both Modi politically and Adani have both wrapped themselves in a pretty ferocious nationalism. So a criticism, for some, a criticism of Adani is a criticism of India. Now there are also others who consider him an oligarch who has practiced in cronyism, who has enjoyed very generous, sometimes questionable dispensation from governments. For instance, minds of his enjoy huge special economic zones, which liberate him from various taxes and duties. 
that he has silenced critics for many years. But he's a phenomenally influential and divisive figure. Mm. Okay. But a couple of weeks ago, things changed for Adani. So tell me about what happened. Yeah. So on January 24, the Hindenburg Research Group released their report on Adani. Very bluntly entitled, How the World's Third Richest Man is Pulling the Largest Con in Corporate History. Wonderfully titled. And it's basically an earthquake, a financial earthquake. This is about a $200 billion company. But once the Hindenburg report dropped, the market moved and it moved quickly, halving the value of the company. We'll be back after this. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Shares of Adani Group companies continue to slide for a third straight session following a report from short seller Hindenburg that accused the conglomerate of stock manipulation. More than $100 billion wiped off the value of his business empire. So, Marty, last month Hindenburg Research publishes this report in which they make a lot of allegations about the way that Adani Group has been operating. There's an immediate effect of that report for Adani's profits, but can you tell me what's exactly in the report? What are the allegations against the group? So as the title suggests, the report, 32,000 words, it impressed people with its level of detail, alleges decades of cronyism, stock manipulation, very creative accounting, which basically is manifest as this kind of vast global cockney shell game. So the moving of monies through opaquely registered companies in tax havens like the Cayman Islands. One allegation is that these kind of ghostly entities um, that are actually attached to Adani are meant to seem separate, independent, and are boosting share value or suggesting this kind of imaginary demand that's not there. Adani, in response emphatically reject any wrongdoing. We are shocked that Hardenberg Research has published a report on January 24, 2023, without making any attempt to contact us or verify the factual metrics. And point out the fact that Hindenburg Research Group are in fact short sellers, and so they have this huge conflict of interest in that they are profiting from Adani's plummeting share value. The group has always been in compliance with all laws, regardless of jurisdiction, and maintains the highest standard of corporate governance. Thank you. And so what is this likely to mean for Gautam Adani personally and for his business interests? Because a loss of, I believe it's $74 
billion. I mean, that doesn't seem like something that can be easily recovered from. And these types of allegations, they're obviously very serious. So is something like this big enough to signal the end of, of Adani's global empire? Or do you think that this can be recovered from? I think a lot who have been criticising Adani for a long time for various things, whether it's corruption, cronyism, environmental degradation, the kind of aggressive displacement of Indigenous people in India, might be gleefully rubbing their hands, wondering or hoping that this spells the end of a dining group. But I would and others would counsel against that. I spoke with a very experienced investor and market analyst, Tim Buckley. He was a senior equity research analyst at Deutsche Bank, Citigroup, some of the largest investment banks in the world. And he says that it's a staggering, you know, the the hit uh, and the market's divestment from Adani is staggering. But Gautam Adani still enjoys this preposterous concentration of strategic assets in India, airports, ports, mines, sometimes monopolistic assets. He still enjoys a closeness with the prime minister. And other investors have kept faith State investors like Abu Dhabi and Israel have kept faith. They don't look like divesting anytime soon. And the wiliness and the astuteness of Adani has gone nowhere either. So there's obviously an enormous amount of damage. There'll be various reporting or investigations in various jurisdictions in which Adani has interests. But it's way, way too soon to suggest that this is the beginning of the end for him the size, the, sh- the colossal size and intimate involvement in most aspects of public life in India, it's difficult to see that just evaporating. Mm. And as you say, a lot of his success is tied to his ability to make connections and, and the most high profile of those is obviously the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. So how is that relationship looking now and has any of the, the fallout over Adani's business practices reflected on Modi. Yeah, reflected on Modi and the government generally. So these rumours and whispers have been going for a very, very, very long time. In fact, Adani has previously been arrested for forgery and tax evasion. But he's always managed to get off. And so there are questions here for how serious the government has been in looking at alleged financial malfeasance. And of course, the relationship with Modi is under intense scrutiny in India now. It's been fiercely debated in parliament um, and it's become a global story. So, you know, uncomfortably for Modi, the closeness of their relationship, which has existed over a couple of decades, is now under pretty intense scrutiny. Yeah. And when you say the whispers have been going on for a long time, that's really down to the activists and, and reporters who have raised questions about Adani's operation going back years this must be an interesting moment for them, especially because someone like Paranjoy, who you mentioned earlier, who you've been speaking to, he's still essentially gagged today that the legal action against him is still running. So how does someone like him feel watching all of this unfold? Yeah. The journalist Paranjoy, which is who's lived under severe gag order for two and a half years, also lived with the threat of arrest, has previously lost jobs for being critical of Adani. He said he feels vindicated but he remains under enormous stress. This is a very proud, very intelligent, articulate man who spent his life, his living has been thinking and talking and debating. So the essence of his profession has been robbed, has been taken from him with this severe gag order. And so with that in mind, I asked him if he had any regrets going up against one of the world's most powerful men. And he said, absolutely not. 
I'm just doing my job. I mean, I, I just uh, sort of did what I had to. He says this is his job. He has no regrets. It's my duty to ask questions of those who are in positions of power and authority. And that includes corporate captains. And he's feeling quite vindicated at the moment. Marty, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today, News Corp Australia will get rid of one in 20 jobs at its newspapers in a fresh round of job cuts. The cuts come as News Corp's global business reported a fall in revenue of 7% in the latest quarter. And two brothers of New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet have been called to appear at an inquiry into property development. Charles and Jean-Claude Perrottet were summonsed on Wednesday, but reportedly have ignored the official summons to give evidence. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.